0: All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask humbly for um, your guidance, for your spirit uh, to open up our hearts and minds. As we open up your scripture, uh, help us to be like the Bereans in the, in the book of Acts, where we diligently study your word, um, confirming whether it is true or, 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 or wrong or what I teach. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so uh, we're continuing, right, our series. We're looking at baptism. And uh, as always, we're going to do a very quick review of uh, what we've been looking at. Uh, Point number A. New Testament Testament baptism works the same way Old Testament circumcision did, right? It works exactly the same way. And uh, we saw that the verse that sort of uh, confirms this is Acts chapter 2. So let's have um, Eric read Acts 2. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Yeah, he says, Be baptized, right? For the promise is for you and for your children. And when uh, Peter says the promise, what is he talking about? He is talking about the Abrahamic Covenant. And we looked at, right, in Genesis chapter 17, that in the Abrahamic covenant, right, infants were included. Infants received the sign of the covenant. And therefore, what Peter is essentially saying is that infants are to be baptized. Okay? Uh, Let's look at point number B. Um, In the household baptisms, we have examples of infant baptism, right? So we looked at uh, these five household baptisms of Cornelius, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, Crispus, and Stephanus. And I put the references there for you. And we saw that uh, the paradigm works like this, right? Here's the head of the household. So I'll draw a little guy. And he's the head, okay? And under him is his household, which includes infants, children. And the head has faith okay and his faith acts as a represent- representative oh, dear for his children, for his household right It works exactly the same way as it does right in the Old Testament. Abraham had faith and all those in his household are circumcised uh, the head of the household has faith and all those under him or her, household is baptized, okay? Um, point number C, the fact that bat- that infants are baptized does not mean they are automatically saved. Baptism by itself does not save you. You are saved by Christ through faith. Uh, a lot of people when they hear, oh, infant baptism, they say, oh, does that mean that the infants are automatically saved? And the answer is, of course not, right? Baptism is a sign. It's a sign of the thing that actually saves you. What's the thing that actually saves you? Christ, right? The righteousness of Christ that you receive by faith. And so therefore, uh, as the child grows up, as he understands the gospel, he or she must have faith. That is not uh, unnecessary. It's absolutely vital. You have to have faith. So it doesn't take away the necessity of faith. And uh, the example, and I'll give you two right here, is Romans 9, 13. Both Jacob and Esau were circumcised. They both received the sign of salvation, right? But does that mean that they're automatically saved? No, circumcision or baptism by itself does not save you. What saves you? God saves you, and you receive that salvation by faith. And so it says, Jacob I loved, Esau hated. Because Esau had no faith, Jacob had faith, right? Does that make sense? And then here's a New Testament example. We looked at this passage actually last week, Acts chapter eight, verse thirteen. Even Simon, right? Remember Simon the magician. Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued to Philip. But remember what Peter says to Simon, right? He says, "You're, you you do not believe the gospel. You're lost, right? You're outside of salvation. Even though he was baptized, he was outside of, of salvation, right? So." Baptism by itself does not save you. Baptism is a sign of salvation, but what saves you is Christ. Okay? Uh, any quick questions or any comments or thoughts on this review so far? No? All right. So now we go on to uh, the next issue, which is, uh, is, point number one, is immersion the only proper mode of baptism? Um, so here, I, wanna, I want us to draw our attention to these three circles, okay? Uh, I've said throughout the lesson, right, that baptism is a lot like all these other issues, like maybe gender roles or church government or charismatic gifts or politics. All these things are secondary. What's core is salvation, is the trinity, is justification. And what's secondary is baptism. And if baptism is secondary, then even further away tertiary is mode of baptism, which is how do you do baptism? What's the proper way? Um, And if it's so far away from what's absolutely core, essential, why are we even talking about it? Well, we're talking about it because uh, a lot of people are actually interested in the mode. Um, You know, Is it it the only proper way to do baptism by immersion? Uh, And so we're going to look at that issue. And the other reason why we're looking at this issue is because a lot of people say that uh, the only proper mode is immersion, and therefore, you can't possibly have infant baptism. Because you can't baptize, you can't immerse babies. Right, so that's the argument. Um, I think that's, you know, that really doesn't work because there are branches of Christianity that immerse babies when they baptize. Uh, one major branch of Christianity is the Eastern Orthodox. right? The Greek Orthodox Church, they immerse their babies when they baptize. Uh, very quickly, but they immerse their babies. So I think that's not really an issue whether, you know, it's immersion or it's not, whether that relates to infant baptism. Okay, so uh, I wanna first present to you the case for immersion only. So there's an argument that uh, immersion is the only proper mode, As I, I wanna present to you the case. Um, I'm skeptical of the case, so obviously, you're gonna get my skeptical view, but uh, I'm gonna try to present it the best that I can, okay? So there are three arguments for immersion only, okay? Uh, By the way, does everyone know what immersion is? Immersion is where you're completely under the water, right? Okay. So the first argument is the Greek word baptizo. Uh, Let me write this word down. This is the English transliteration. The argument is that baptizo only means immersion. Okay? The Greek word baptizo only means immersion. That's argument number one. Argument number two is that if you look at Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 2, it speaks about baptism as being a burial and a rising, right? So if I could just graphically show you, right? So this is the water, and this is the one being baptized, right? When the person goes under the water, it's like being buried. Okay. And when the person uh, rises up out of the water, it's like the resurrection, right? And so uh, that's the symbolism. That's the, uh, the graphic. And I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Especially if you look at uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, Meredith, can I have you read the whole of Romans 6? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life for if we have been united with him in the death like like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of the sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin yeah so it speaks of baptism as uh, when we're baptized, right, we're buried with him in his death and we rise with him in his resurrection, okay? So that's the second argument. Um, and I don't want to read all of Colossians 2, but Colossians 2, which by the way, we, which we looked at, right, before we said Colossians 2 links circumcision and baptism. But if you look at verse 12, right, it says the same language. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith, Okay. So let's look at the third argument. The third argument is that if you look at sort of the circumstantial evidence of people being baptized, it seems like they're being immersed, right? It seems like they're being immersed. So if you look at Acts chapter 8, uh, this is the baptism of the eunuch, right? The uh, Ethiopian eunuch by Philip. It looks like he's, going, he's being immersed. So look at verse 38, okay? In verse 38, uh, and the Ethiopian eunuch commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Right? So, so, so the going down into the water, right? he was immersed. And then if you look at Matthew chapter 3, which is John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, it right, says in verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Right? And so it's idea that he is rising up, out. Right? So that's uh, the language of immersion. Uh, is there any quick questions about, this is the case for immersion only? Are there any questions, or thoughts, or comments? No? Okay, Uh, so let's turn to the next page. Um, And so I see some problems with seeing baptism as immersion only, and I wanna again stress to you that um, this is a tertiary issue, so you don't have to agree with me. (laughs) Uh, You can very uh, respectfully disagree, and I respectfully disagree with you maybe, but that's okay, we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, it doesn't mean we have to draw swords and meet each other in the alley. Um, that we can be in the church together, okay? It's not a life and death issue. All right, uh, but it is an important issue, it's interesting. Okay, point number two. Baptism is the washing of dirt which symbolizes cleansing from sin. Um, so here's the thing, and here's my main argument, okay? New Testament baptism doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't come out of this vacuum. It's drawing from the rich imagery of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you have all of these ceremonial washings. Let me write that word down. Ceremonial washing. uh, What do we mean by ceremonial? Um... It's just like a little ceremony, like a little pageantry, right? Um, Maybe we can think of it as being symbolic. Okay? And so in the Old Testament, and we're gonna look at this, you have all of these situations where people are being washed ceremonially. Uh, Who would be washed? Lepers would be washed, unclean people. Uh, Gentiles, when uh, when they joined the covenant, would be washed. And so, actually, that's what John the Baptist is doing. You know, John the Baptist is drawing on all of that imagery, and that's why he's baptizing people. And the scandal and what made uh, John the Baptist like crazy, right, is that he would do ceremonial washings. He would do baptisms on who? Not Gentiles, not lepers, but on Jews, right? And what was he saying to the Jews? He was saying to the Jews, "You are unclean," right? Even though you are sons of Abraham, even though you've been circumcised, you're unclean, and he washes them at the Jordan River, which I think is very symbolic, because the Jordan River is how you cross into the land of Israel, right? And so, that's the imagery, right? That baptism is this ceremonial washing. Um, And so it's a symbol of the removal of dirt, okay? Let me write that. Because when you get washed, you get rid of the dirt, the mud on your body. And what, what does dirt? what is dirt a symbol of? Who remembers? Sin. Yes. Dirt is a symbol of sin. Or we can say uncleanness. Right? You're unclean, you get washed, and then you're clean. And that's a picture of salvation. Does that make sense? Does the imagery of, of baptism there make sense? And I think what's really interesting is that, so, so Christian baptism is a ceremonial washing, but in Christian baptism, you only do it once. It's only applied once, why? Can anyone tell me why Christian baptism is only applied once in your life? Why not many times? Yeah, I mean, the baptism is a picture of your salvation, right, and what, what actually cleanses you? Not the water, but Christ's sacrifice, right? His blood, and so he died once and for all for your sins, and therefore you don't need to continually be washed. I remember going on missions trip to India, and in India, right, they have all these people doing these ceremonial washings. They go to the river and they wash themselves, and they would do that every day, all their life continually everyday washing but in christianity you wash once that's it that's a picture of the fact the fact that christ has saved you you don't need to be continually clean does that make sense all right and because okay and here and here's the central argument okay and because it is a ceremonial washing okay Okay, because baptism is a ceremonial washing, the amount of water is is unimportant, okay? The actual amount of water that you use is unimportant. Do you know why? Because you're not actually taking a real bath, (laughs) right? If you were really getting clean, you would jump into the tub get a bar of soap, lather up, and really scrub, right? And does, is that necessary? No, because the dirt is just a symbol. And that's why even if it's just a little bit of water, even if it's just little drips of water, that is a picture, it's a symbol, it's a ceremony, and therefore the actual amount of water is unnecessary. And that's the central argument that I'm making. Um, any questions or any thoughts on that? Right? The amount of water is on the important. It's, it's immaterial. Yes? But isn't it almost analogous to saying like that circumcision, it doesn't matter how you circumcise it, as long as there's like a little bit of blood? <laughs> like it's symbolic of uh, some kind of sign that uh, we can just do it however we want to do it? Um. Like, how, how how would you do circumcision I don't know the detailed surgery, surgical <laughs> procedure, but um, I'm assuming that, like, there was, um, you could have done, like, I don't know, cut like half of the foreskin or something and say, you know, it's... You know. Sure. I guess so. Um, I guess that makes sense, um, but it's all simple, right? And so, the foreskin is a picture of sin. Um, and do you actually have to cut off the foreskin for there to be circumcision? I would say yes. And so, do you actually have to have water? I think that's the equivalent. In baptism, do you actually need water? Yes. Can you do baptism with sand? No. Can you do baptism with Kool-Aid? No. You need water, right? I would argue that the amount of water is what's unimportant. What's important is the actual presence of water. So you can't just do an imaginary baptism where imaginary water. No, that's not baptism. I guess that that's what it Does that satisfy you? Does that make sense? Okay. Alright, so uh, let's look at the case then for the fact that baptism is a washing. Uh, point number one, uh, the definition of baptizo, and here I br- I brought to you my 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 Greek English lexicon, right? Look at this look at this beast when I was in seminary, they made me buy, they forced me to buy this $110, right? This is a beast. This is the authoritative Greek-English lexicon, right? Wow, you know? And so if you actually look up the word baptizo in this sucker, right? What does the dictionary say? The dictionary says... (laughs) The dictionary says... um, that it Baptizo means <laughs> <laughs> Baptizo says, Baptismo. <laughs> Baptizo means to wash, to purify with water. That's the primary meaning. Okay. Um, if you doubt me, you can come up and look at my beast of a dictionary. Um, that's the primary meaning, and actually the secondary or maybe even the tertiary meaning includes. Um, immersion, but it actually includes all kinds of modes: so sprinkling, dipping, pouring. It doesn't really matter. The primary meaning of baptismo, baptizo, Marianne, baptizo is to wash. Okay. Uh, point number two: uh, the symbolism of baptism is washing. So if you actually look at the passages that actually talk about, hey, Rachel, can you close the door? This, that's my life. Seven days a week. All right. <laughs> If you actually look at uh, passages that explicitly talk about the symbolism of baptism, right, it speaks of it as washing. So 1 Peter uh, 3, can I have, um, who's next? Tony. Baptism, which corresponds to this, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Peter says, what is baptism? Baptism isn't essentially washing away the dirt from your body but it's an appeal to God through the resurrection of Christ. What does that mean? He's basically saying the symbolism of baptism is removing dirt from your body. But don't mistake that that's the real thing. There's a reality behind it. The sign. Does that make sense? What about Acts chapter 22? Let me just read that for you. Um, This is Ananias uh, talking to Saul who eventually becomes the Apostle Paul. Verse 16, he says, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. See, so baptism and washing away sins is in parallel. It's the same thing, basically. Does that make sense? All right, point number three. Salvation is often spoken of as a washing. Um, Right, we said uh, baptism is a picture of salvation. And what is salvation? Salvation is this. You start out unclean. You're dirty. Right, you've just played football in the mud. And then you become clean, right? And unclean is, a, is what? You're a sinner. And what is clean? You're righteous. Okay? You're righteous. And how do you, cut, you go from unclean to clean? You wash. Okay? You become cleansed. You become cleansed, okay? And that's the picture that we have of salvation. And so let's just read through these passages Pretty quickly, without comment, can I have Jeff read 1 Corinthians 6? So you were washed, you were sanctified, you were in the name of Jesus Christ and by How about the Wesley? Titus. But so when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by, his, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'll stop you right there. Um, Clarence, can I have read Hebrews 10? It is drawn here with the true heart and With our hearts regularly feet, our bodies washed with pure water. Our bodies washed with pure water. Wilbur, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having a her spirit life, by washing of water and different himself. And then uh, Kay, Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Yeah, I'll sprinkle clean water on you. And so, uh, what is my uh, argument? And again, I'm saying, you know, there doesn't have to be agreement. If you disagree with me, that's perfectly fine. Very thoughtful, reasonable scholars and theologians disagree, so it's okay. Um, my, my point is that the symbolism of baptism isn't essentially... Uh, dying and rising, but it's cleansing. Okay, and we'll, we'll get back to this. But it's essentially cleansing. So that's the argument I'm making. And if it's cleansing, if it's washing, the amount of water doesn't matter because it's a symbol. Yeah. Doesn't it actually symbolize things? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Good point. All right. Point number uh, page three. The other thing, the other argument I would make about Immersion being the only acceptable mode, right, is that the word baptizo, point number three, has a range of meanings beyond immersion. Okay, and this just has to be if you look at these passages. So if you look where I underline the word, it says wash or washing, right, the original Greek word there is baptizo. Okay? And even the translators—if you look across all the translations—they all they don't translate "emerging." They translate it. They don't even translate it "baptism." They translate it as "washing," because that's the only logical translation. Can I have Tommy um, read Mark seven for us? Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus and some of the scribes had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples gave with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Pharisees and all Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands according to the tradition of the elders. And when they came to the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions that we observe essential washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and the only other yeah, um, I think one response the immersion only argument would make is well, maybe these things were being immersed that's how you properly wash I think that could be true for cups and pots and copper vessels. You could immerse them in water. But I think you run into some trouble when you want to immerse a dining couch. I think that would take an enormous amount of water, um, which is kind of cumbersome in the Middle East, where water is a very, very precious commodity. Um, And the same thing for Hebrews 9. We're not going to read that. Uh, But let's go on to point number four. Uh, Another reason why I think immersion only is problematic is there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. If anything, the proper mode of spirit baptism is pouring. So remember that John the Baptist says that there's someone coming after me who's greater than me. I'm baptizing you with water, but he will baptize you with a spirit, right? And how does, and when does Christ baptize his disciples? Do you guys remember what event without looking at the passage? What event do the disciples receive the spirit? Starts with a P. Pentecost. Pentecost, that's right. Um, so John the Baptist says Christ will baptize you with the Spirit. And if you actually look at the Pentecost story, it does mention a mode. Okay, It does mention a way they were baptized, but the word immersion is not used. So let's read, um, can I, have Yvonne, read the whole passage, Acts 2. This is what those other And then they in the last days it shall that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your um and your young men shall see visions and shall be. Yeah. Joel says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And my argument would be, oh, so does that mean pouring is the only proper mode? No, because the mode I think is unimportant. The symbol, right, is, it's just a symbol. The actual mode, it doesn't matter. It could be pouring, it could be immersion, it could be sprinkling, is what I'm trying to say. Is there any questions or comments on that? Yes, Jeff? What's the difference between pouring and sprinkling? Sprinkling would be like this, or like, sprinkle would be, you're getting this much water. Pouring would be, you're getting this much water. Immersion would be, you're under the water. I guess pouring would be kind of like a shower. Sprinkle would be just like a splash of water. Because I had a when I was baptized, like, I had a I think it was a bowl of water. So I always wondered if that was considered pouring or sprinkling. I never needed to check. What happened to the water? There you go. You got poured. Does that make sense? So okay. Yeah. Because I, I saw like the I think I saw how Pastor pastor experiment would baptize people who do, 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 uh, do like a Oh, like, uh, so he would do sprinkling Yeah, yeah. So there you go uh, Point number five uh, This is actually a very weak argument so Don't think like this is like an overwhelming argument I'm just throwing it out there for your consideration If you, if you look at actual examples of baptism in the New Testament it kind of seems like a stretch that in each case it was absolutely done by immersion um, so if you look at, for example, Pentecost, right? Look at verse 41 in Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added by that day about 3,000 souls. So uh, Luke tells us that 3,000 people were baptized at Pentecost. This is in the city of Jerusalem, which has no natural body of water. And I think uh, it's kind of difficult to say that they had to have been immersed. I mean, for John the Baptist immersed people in the Jordan River, that makes sense. But in a city... I I don't know, it seems it seems like a practical difficulty. Maybe I'll put it like that. How about Acts chapter sixteen? This is the story of the Philippian jailer, right? And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all and to all who were in his house, and he took them. This is Paul. And Paul took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he Oh, I'm sorry, the jailer did this. And the jailer was baptized at once, he and all his family. So this is the story, right? It's the middle of the night, there's an earthquake, a major earthquake. And the jailer thinks Paul and Silas have escaped, but they haven't, and so he comes to faith, and Paul baptizes them at once, immediately. Now, I think it's kind of practically cumbersome that in the middle of the night, after a major earthquake, they're going around looking for a body of water to be immersed in. I think it just makes so much more practical sense that Paul just sprinkled or poured, I guess is what I'm saying. This is not like a conclusive argument, I'm just for your consideration. Any, any comments or thoughts? Observations, okay. So, is there any symbolism that somebody is doing the baptizing to you? Like, could you just baptize yourself? Um, no, Uh, no, no. Uh, Because in baptism, it's a very passive act, right? Uh, Unlike the Lord's supper, where you're actively eating. uh, In baptism, you're passively receiving the act. I think that makes sense because baptism is a picture of your. Salvation, your justification. And in justification, you're not doing anything. Whereas in the Lord's Supper, you're doing something, and I think it's a picture of your sanctification. And this is one reason why uh, churches that do baptize babies, baptize babies, but do not allow babies to eat the Lord's Supper. Because it requires doing. Not only that, but babies don't have teeth to eat. To eat so. <laughs> does that answer your question? So yes, yeah, someone, someone, you, you can't do it to yourself. And does it always happen? Water? It's, it's, it's just, it's, uh I would say yes, water is important. Uh if it's sand, sand doesn't sand doesn't cleanse you. Or if it's like beads, I suppose beads could cleanse you. I mean like say you're somewhere and like you're at a party or something and somebody says, Oh, I want to be baptized and there's no water, but you have like soda or <laughs> <laughs> uh I I highly doubt there will never be a situation where there's water. Um and I think the proper way to baptize is that the minister should baptize. Uh, You shouldn't just do it at a party with your (laughs) friends. I mean, just at the Yeah, I understand. So I would say water is essential. That would be the one essential. All right. Uh, Last page, point number six. Um, In fact, if any particular mode of cleansing is cited by Scripture, it's not immersion but sprinkling, right? And if you actually look, right, there's a lot of language about ceremonial washing. And in almost every single case, the one mode that is mentioned is sprinkling. Uh, there's one example of pouring, but all the other examples, it's always sprinkling, never immersion. Um, so let's read through these passages, right? Uh, can I just have Winnie read it, and then we'll just go around and read all the passages. read Exodus 24. I think it's a really important passage. Exodus 24 is all the people of God are gathered at Mount Sinai. Do you remember that story? And Moses, right, says to people, you're unfit before the presence of God. How does he make them fit? Uh, go ahead. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Yeah, so okay, you were saying, does it have to be water? I suppose it could be blood. <laughs> right if you talk about the Old Testament imagery uh, they would take the blood of the sacrifice and they would sprinkle the blood on you so blood is acceptable but I would say that that's an Old Testament way in the New Testament it's no blood remember we talked about the Old Testament sacraments are bloody uh, Passover and circumcision and New Testament sacraments are not bloody uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper and did you guys remember why there's a difference between bloody and not bloody 'Cause Christ's blood was already saved. Yeah, so there's no necessity for blood. So I'll say probably blood is no no more. Which you're probably happy. <laughs> you want blood. Alright, uh, Eric. Uh, well let me let me just it's, these passages are super long, so let me just read it for you. Verse eighteen, uh, then a, then a clean person tell so I'll take hyssop, which is kind of like a herb and dip it in the water and sprinkle it on the tent and all the furnishings and on the persons, right? So they sprinkle the persons. And finally, Leviticus chapter 14. Well, I think Leviticus 14 is really important because it's about lepers. Do you remember what leprosy was a picture of? We Actually, I preached on this. Yeah, leper, leprosy, leper was a sinner, right? So leprosy is a picture of sin. And so how is the leper cleansed? Uh, verse 7. And the priest shall sprinkle it, and what is he sprinkling? It's a mixture of water and blood, sacrifice animal blood. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leper's disease, right? So there it is, sprinkling. You know, and is the leper actually cleansed? Does he still have dirt on him? Yeah. But why is he sprinkling enough? It's because it's a picture, it's a symbol. You know, the amount of water is unimportant, I would say. Um, All right, point number seven, and now I'll leave it up for some questions. So let's circle back. But well, what about the dying and rising language in Romans 6? So that was Jeff's question, right? And I would have two responses to that. My first response is that if you actually look at the passage, I don't think Paul is talking about the mode of baptism. I think he's saying that baptism is, means union with Christ. right? Okay? Right, because he speaks about... Uh, being baptized into Christ. And when you're you, when you're united with Christ, whatever happens to Jesus happens to you. And so he died to sin, and then he raised a new life, and that happens to you. You died to sin and you raised a new life, because you're united with Jesus. So that would be my first answer, that Paul's not really thinking about mode, he's really thinking about union. And the second answer that I would have is, let's suppose that Paul is talking about mode. He's saying it's very important that you're immersed. Um, does that mean that it's immersion only? And I would say no because, again, we have all these examples where ceremonial washings are valid if you sprinkle or if you pour. It doesn't have to be immersion. So it could be both. So I think that's what Jeff, that's what you were saying, right? It could be both. I'm just saying, like, even if you sprinkle people, it doesn't mean you can't symbolize your Oh, in the sprinkling? Yeah. How so? I mean, because it's a symbol. Right? It's like how we were saying how Yeah, I think that kind of makes sense, right, because um, Israel was going through the Red Sea. They weren't actually immersed, but maybe water was sprinkling <laughs> on them, right? They were going up, out from under and maybe. Um, but I would say that, you know, because after all, people aren't really buried in water anymore. It's all symbolic. You can't anything to symbolize. True. And uh, not only that, but uh, in the Middle East at the time of Jesus, people weren't actually buried on the ground. They were buried above ground in That's another technical detail. All right. Um, what about the whole parts about where people seem to be going down into the water, coming up out of the water, right? Remember the story of the, uh, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, here's my, I mean, this kind of seems silly, right? But here's my answer, okay? So let's say this is a river, okay? And then here you are, and you want to be baptized. To get to the water, you have to actually go down and stand there. And then maybe they sprinkle water on you, whatever. And then to come out of the water, you go back up. It doesn't necessarily mean that you were under the water. I guess is what I would say. And and my other response is this. If this is the dominant image, dying and rising, burial and resurrection, how does that make sense that that's what John the Baptist was thinking? Remember, John the Baptist was baptizing people before the resurrection of Jesus. Did he know that Jesus was going to be resurrected? All the Gospels are uniform that everyone was, was crazy surprised when the resurrection happened. No one knew it was going to happen. And let's say John the Baptist did know that Jesus was going to be resurrected. How does it make sense that the people being baptized understood that as well? Right? The people who were being baptized, they were not thinking burial and rising. What were they thinking? They were thinking Old Testament ceremonial washing. And so, doesn't it make sense that John the Baptist wasn't immersing them, but he was pouring or sprinkling? Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily matter because it could have been transformed, you know, the, the ceremony could have been transformed after Christ's death. And yeah. so, to monitor it. Yeah. So, my argument would be that John the Baptist was essentially doing it the way. Christian, the early church was So it's the same understanding. Except in John the Baptist, they were doing it for repentance, but they didn't know it was in the blood of Christ. And after the resurrection, now they know it's in the name of Christ. Okay, so uh, again, you know, why do we even address this issue? Uh, I thought it was important because I know a lot of people have questions about whether immersion is the only proper mode. And so I just wanted to address, and I would say immersion is one of many valid modes, uh, sprinkling, pouring, included. And uh, any thoughts or comments, or any questions or any thoughts? And again, it's okay if you disagree with me. Um, If you're convinced that it's immersion only, that's fine. It's so far away from what's poor, it's okay. Any questions? Uh, I wasn't here last week. Yes. I think it's supposed to answer question Uh so did when, you hear the did you hear the audio? Yeah. So when Paul says to the jailers, uh believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your family will be saved. Yeah. So does that mean that his whole family will be saved? His whole family received the sign of salvation. But they don't see. Uh we have to we have to think of salvation. When when Paul says you and your family are safe. What is he using? Is he using invisible church language or is he using visible church language? I believe he's using visible church language. So when he says you and your family are saved, he's saying you're in the visible church. He's not saying you and your family are elect. You never see anyone say you're elect, right? Because how do they know? No one knows, I mean, unless the Spirit speaks to them. They don't know. So you only speak about salvation in terms of the visible church. and. Is everyone in the visible church saved? No. Jesus himself said there are sheep and goats in the church. And so was every single person in the Philippian jailer's family saved? I hope so. I would like to think so. But maybe there was a goat among them. Does that answer your question? No, but that would like... Because if, if we say that uh, Jesus says... So if you believe you have eternal life, then shouldn't it follow the same? Right. So you're saying that in one sense... You have I'm saying safe the word save can be used in different ways. Different yeah, different categories. Uh, any other thoughts? Comments? That was a great question. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh... We just thank you so much that we don't have to be baptized every week. <laughs> but Lord, we're only baptized once uh, because you died for us. Uh, you fulfilled the law in our place. You died to death we should have died. And so we're saved. Lord, we pray that we would really uh, enjoy that salvation. We would reflect on our baptism and know that you love us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.